Whew. That worship was really good. It's prepared us really well. Lord, I just thank you. Thank you for, ever, for all the kids that, that, you, uh, that you brought us this morning. Thank you for what you're doing, how you're moving in this place. We just ask that we each and every one of us, that we would turn our hearts towards you, turn our affection towards you, leave our burdens, change our heavy burdens for your light burden, and that we would be a people, collectively and individual, that, that would say, Lord, have your way. Just help us to prepare our hearts, Lord, for what you have for us this morning. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. I'm going to take a little bit of time this morning. It was kind of, Ronnie and I usually, we, he doesn't, never, doesn't ever know what I'm going to talk about, and I usually don't know how he's going to open, but it's kind of funny that he talked about how much we have been through as a church, as, as a church, as a nation, as, a, as, you know, just humans over the last couple of years. I was looking in my Facebook memories this last week, and, and we announced that we were about to have our first ever online church. And it kind of reminded me of where we were in March of 2020. And, and in January and in February, we kept hearing all this stuff on the news about this COVID-19 stuff. And we were just like, ah, eh, it's probably going to be like, you know, SARS, or it's probably going to be like, you know, norovirus, or all these other ones that have kind of come in recent years that the news likes to get everybody all riled up. We're used to the news getting everybody all riled up, right? And we kind of were just like, man, I hope this dies down soon. And, um, and I remember on March 12th, 2020, I took over as pastor here in January of 2020. So here we've been a church for 75 years as of 2020, and I'm going to be the first pastor that closes the doors. And I'm like, oh, great, two months on, and here, like, what the heck is going on here? So I, I called a meeting of kind of the board members and the elders and some people that I trusted in the church, that, that um, and we got together, and we were like, do we need to take this seriously? What, what should we do? How should we respond? What's it going to look like? What's, like? what's going on here? And, you know, if, it, if I had my way, we would have done one thing, but, you know, wisdom and counsel and, uh, you know, there's something in Proverbs about wisdom and counsel going together. I don't really know. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Should have looked that one up. I didn't. Um, but we ended up just saying, you know what? We think that we're going to, you know, make this decision. But I remember on March 12th, he woke me up at 5 o'clock in the morning, and I did not know that on March 12th later I was going to be calling a meeting the next day. I, I called. I was like, hey, can you guys fast and pray with me, and we'll meet tomorrow. But I remember at 5 o'clock in the morning on on March 12th, 2020, I still have it saved in my phone, and I, and I kind of just had this encounter with the Lord, and I jotted this down. And, I was, and, I've, and I've gone back to it several times over the last couple years. But now we know that the Lord doesn't bring this bad stuff, but we know that what the enemy means for evil, that the Lord will use for good. And so I remember the Lord, you know, kind of speaking to me in that sort of half-waking, half-sleep phase, and I just pulled out my phone, and I just wrote down everything that he said, and then I went back to sleep. Um, and he said, he said to me, this is March 12, 2020, he said, I'm waking up my people. I'm showing them how to be anchored in me, 
what I was doing in the early church, I'm still doing. In a different generation, in different cultures, we're doing the same thing. We're equipping and maturing the saints so they won't be tossed back and forth like Ephesians 4.14. He says, I need my people anchored in me because the seas can feel rough apart from me. I'm raising up people who can tell the others, imitate me. Who is willing to be put on display? Who is willing to display my work in their lives? And who's willing to be the display of my splendor in the dirt covered in sweat? And, and I just remember kind of like over the last couple years, different parts of this has really been unveiled in the church and in and, and culture around us. You know, there were times in the last couple years where we have felt tossed back and forth, different information coming at us, different opinions, different political views, different people rising up and saying, no, we're gonna say no here, and other people saying, no, we're gonna say no here, no, this is the boundary, no, this is the boundary, no, this is the belief, no, this is the belief, and, and you know, different, diff- different people hanging on to different parts of scripture and and different people interpreting different scriptures different ways and it was just like man information was just coming at us and the lord was like listen guys remember what i told you i need for you to be anchored in me because the seas can feel rough apart from me and i remember like walking through all this stuff and not being shocked at all at any of this stuff that was happening because i felt like he let us know in the beginning the seas are going to feel rough apart from me. And, and, and I started seeing, you know, people kind of re, re-evaluating church. Like, what is church supposed to really look like? The church kind of felt like we had sort of like a reset happen, and we were like, okay, well, when we open back up, what, what is it going to look like? What are we going to value? What are we going to bring back? What are we going to get rid of? What doesn't matter? What really matters? What are the things that, that, we, that, are, the, that are our non-negotiables? You know what I mean? And so, like, there was this kind of thing where we were, like, wrestling with what church even, and and not just church leaders, but I'm talking about people too, people like, what do I value in a church? Are they, you know, defiant or are they caring for people? Are, you know, then they're trying to look and see like, I want to be a part of this, but I'm not sure. I might want to be a part of this, but I'm not sure. People left church, people came to church. You know, some people left, some people came. Some some relationships were strengthened and some, some relationships fell to the wayside. You know, we all went through stuff. We, we found ourselves as a culture, like, we're used to being able to do certain things when someone passes away. And we suddenly couldn't do those things. We suddenly couldn't gather. We couldn't take food. We couldn't even go to the hospital to be with them. You know, so we find ourselves with people in our community that are hurting and needy, and we couldn't respond in the way that we are used to being able to respond. So we had to learn how to do different things and learn how to connect and learn how to, you know, be there for each other in in more creative ways. We went through a lot of stuff as a society, you know, we and we felt a lot of this stuff. We felt a lot of this like, you know, our home church is better, our small groups better. You know, there was a lot of stuff that we were sort of like wrestling with for the last couple years. And so, but I I remember really feeling like there was some people that really took to heart this, like, listen, I don't have it all put together, but you can follow me as I, as I follow Christ. 
you know, come and, come, and, come and do life with us as we follow Christ together. You can imitate me. I don't have it all together. You know, I'm, me- I'm messed up in certain ways too. Everybody, everybody, like Rodney said, everybody struggles with something. But you know what? When we're together following Christ, there's something powerful about that. And so a lot of people were like, you know what, church is important. And we don't do it just to gather. We do it to come together as a family to strengthen each other for what we're going to face out there. And I feel like that's something that the church really learned. Like, listen, we're so different. You guys, we got Democrats and Republicans. We got different generations. We got people that believe this way and that way. We have people that think masks are no masks. We have people that all over the map in with regards with regards to where we're coming from and and there has been so much um conversation and like struggling with stuff but the higher thing that i feel like we've done pretty well as a church is is we gather around jesus we gather around jesus i believe i voted totally different than some people i believe totally different than some people but you know what we can gather around jesus and so we have, I feel like we have done a better job in the last couple of years of just being like, you know what, there's a lot of stuff out here, but we gather around Jesus. We value worship. We love the presence of God. Like, we, we just want to be where he is. And we've become a people that's like, man, if the, if the Holy Spirit is moving in another church, let's go. If the Holy Spirit is moving on the river bar with the transients, pff, that's where it's that, that there's something that God thinks is, God still thinks is powerful about the, his people coming together. And I think that one thing that we have realized is that this is a holy moment. Like this right here with God's people in the same room together, pointing our hearts towards him, no matter what our differences are, no matter what we struggle with, no matter what type of classification you want to put our sins in or whatever, you know, we can all come together and, and realize that this is beautiful, this is holy, this is worth protecting, this is good, but this also is not the main thing. Jesus is the main thing. Me, allowing him to form himself in me is the main thing, and, and for you guys too, and for you guys too, and, and we do it we do it, like, I guess, together. And there's something neat about that. There's something really beautiful. There's something powerful about that. So I love that. Um, and, it, and it really has made me realize that it takes, I guess I, guess I should go back a teeny bit. Um, we're in this little series right now where I'm kind of revisiting our foundational beliefs. The very first one, before you even have a belief, you have to, we have to believe that God's word is true. If we don't believe that God's word is true, then there's no point in saying, okay, I need to persuade my heart with his word. If we don't believe that, there's this really spot right here. I need to get off of it. <laughs> if we don't believe that his word is true, then how are we supposed to trust a God whose, whose word we can't trust? You know, I, I trust my husband, but because he, he's, he's proven to me that his word is true. When I first met him, I didn't trust him, and now I do. Um, but so that's kind of like the foundation before even any of the, the beliefs. But the first one is that God is good. God is good all the time, exactly, and all the time, 
Amen. We do this not because we want to chant something, but to remind each other, God is good. He is worth something. Like, he loves you. He has good plans for you. He is not going to bring you through something that is not good for you. He does not have a purpose or a plan for your life that is not better than whatever you could dream or imagine for yourself, right? God is good. He is trustworthy. The second thing that we visited last week is that Jesus paid for everything on the cross, He paid for everything. He removed absolutely every obstacle that could possibly come in between you and God. So now you can stand before God, not because of anything that you have did, because if anything that we did were were factored into the equation, we would be disqualified. But because Jesus paid for everything on the cross, he, he paid for everything to present us holy and blameless in his sight. And so when he sees us, when he looks down upon us, When he looks at me face to face, he sees me as holy and blameless, even in the middle of my biggest mess up, because it comes through faith in Jesus. If you believe in Jesus and you're messing up, anybody ever been there? I believe in Jesus, but I'm messing up, right? When you are in the middle of your mess up, when you are in the middle of taking a drink that you shouldn't be taking, when you're in the middle of dealing with your anxiety, when you're in the middle of believing fear, when you're in the middle of watching porn, when you're in the middle of taking whatever you shouldn't be in in a relationship you shouldn't be in, when you know that the Lord is saying you should be this and you are, you are doing this in the middle of all that, because you have faith in Jesus God has the ability to look at you and still see you as holy and pure and blameless. And he puts his Holy Spirit inside of us because he wants to empower us to walk out with his power what we cannot walk out ourselves. Anybody ever felt like you wanted to change but you didn't have the ability? God is like, I'm going to put my ability inside of you to be an overcomer because I called you an overcomer before you were ever born. I called you holy and pure and blameless. I called you my child. You know, there's this invitation, and it all comes through Jesus, all of it. Nothing is from us. Now, should we continue to sin because God still sees us as holy? Come on, no. You know, This grace thing is not a permission to stay in sin, it is a salvation from it. It's like, I have something better from you, you are being saved out of, God says that he took you out of the kingdom of darkness and placed you into the realm of the kingdom of the one that he loves. So you are saved out of something and you are saved for something. So you're never, your flesh is gonna fight you and be like, hey, um, so since we're forgiven, can we just go ahead and do this? And you're going to want to agree, but, you know, there's this thing that happens inside of us when we're in relationship with God, when we start to know who he is, when we trust him, when we realize that he's good, when we realize that he designed this whole system around your faith in God being everything that you need through Christ Jesus, then it makes you go like, you know, I mean, I totally could, but how could I? Why would I want to do that? Why would I want to hurt the one that loves me so much that gave me everything? I mean, how many of you ever had a chance to, hi John, to cheat on a spouse or a, or a boyfriend or a girlfriend? But what stopped you is this relationship that you want to preserve. Like, how could I do that? Yeah, I have the opportunity. How could I do that? And that's the same relationship that God is calling us to. He's like, listen, I've done everything 
I'm going to give you everything that you need to walk this out because I'm calling you to crazy, impossible things. And so that's kind of like that Jesus paid for everything. So this, the one that I want to talk about today is this crazy thing that I don't understand because if I was God, I would design it a little bit differently. I wouldn't use all these imperfect people. But he's decided that that's what he wants to do. So he wants to reveal himself in you. He wants, he wants for you to allow him so much access that it will be so obvious to every person that you meet that you walk with Jesus. It's like the disciples when they walked with Jesus. They were these uneducated men. And people saw them and they were like, you've been walking with Jesus. That's weird. Huh. You know, they, they weren't the most educated. They weren't the, the most anything. They might have been the biggest sinners. They might have been the most messed up. And that's the same thing with us. You know, sometimes we're, man, sometimes I'm the biggest mess up I know. Actually, just kidding. I know you. No, I'm just kidding. I'm totally joking. That's my husband. Sorry, I'm teasing him. Um, sometimes I feel like I'm the biggest mess up I know. But, you know, aren't we so much harder on ourselves than we really are on anybody else? You know what I'm saying? But God, for some reason, he wants to use the free will of humanity, giving up our, our own sort of like leading in our lives. He's, he wants for us, because we get to know him, to say, you know what, Lord, I've been leading myself for a little bit too long and my life is starting to look like this. I think I'm going to give you a chance. And he's like, yeah, I'll show you what I can do with that. You know, he, he wants to reveal himself in every single one of us. He wants to reveal himself in you personally, but he wants to reveal himself in us as a body. We've been in Ephesians, the first couple chapters of Ephesians, so that's kind of where we're going to hang out to, today is in Ephesians 2, and then tomorrow, not tomorrow, because we're not going to get together tomorrow. Next Sunday, we're going to talk about the fourth foundational belief is that what you do matters and that you are significant. And so we'll kind of be in the Ephesians chapter 4 little section. But today we're going to be hanging out in Ephesians chapter 3 to talk about how God wants to reveal himself in his church. Now jumping ahead a little bit, we all know that we are members of one another, right? That we are part of a body and a body has many parts. This just happens to be the body that we are a part of on the planet today. There's like 8.3 billion people in the world and a few billion Christians. And so we're a part. Every single one of us is different. Every single one of us is going to represent God slightly different, but all together, we are a fuller version of who God is. I've never seen a toe that looked like a hand and an eye and an ear and a heel and skin and blood. Like, no, we're all together. We need all of those different parts put together in a body to fully represent what a human is. And that's what God wants to do with us. He wants to take like every little bit and piece that we are, put us together so that we can fully together represent who God is and what God is. Now God chose to reveal himself in Jesus, and Jesus chose to confer that upon us. He chose to make some of you gifted 
And we needed this the last couple years. We needed those of us that were gifted in administration. We needed those of us that were gifted in giving. We needed those of us that were good at media. We needed people that were teachers. We needed people that were influencers. We needed people that were um, prayer warriors. We needed our intercessors. One person can't fulfill all of those rules. We needed our, our pastors. We needed our, our apostles. We needed people that built and sent. We needed people that cared for the needs of the people. We needed all of these different facets of God. And I'll give you a little bit of a spoiler at the, at, in, in Ephesians 3. His intent was that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. It's not one person that's the church. We're all the church. Us together present a fuller picture of who God is, and we can, we can show his wisdom through those different facets. And even just we're a tiny church of, I don't know, some kind of people, 40, 50, 60, I don't know, if everybody came on the same day. Um, and we're just one church in a tiny town in Humboldt County. So imagine how much the church could reveal who God is if we were all, if we were together. If not only the people were part of the church, but the churches were part of each other. Like, what could that look like worldwide? What if you actually believe that your brothers and sisters in Russia and the Ukraine were part of the body of Christ and we actually needed them? What if we believe that the church in China were the church that we needed to be bonded to us that they were our brothers and sisters because they more fully with us and them, that they needed the church in Rio Dell and we need the church in Poland and we need the church in Afghanistan and we need the church in every country around the world. What if we actually believed and we lived as if it was true that together we more fully show who the body of Christ is? And so, but we can't do that. We're not going to do that unless we believe that God actually wants to reveal himself in us. You know, God wants to reveal himself in us. And there's something that, that, that pierces the heart of a believer. There's something that pierces the heart of the church. And the very tip of that little arrow thing has to be Jesus and what he did. There's a, there's a, a scripture in Ephesians chapter 2, a set of scripture I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into teacher mode just a little bit because I have something really cool to show you. I'll have Ronnie pass out some of those things that I printed out. Um, there's this really neat little part that really talks about what the point of Jesus coming is and talks about kind of all the different things that, that go in. Once that point enters in, there's all of this stuff that also enters in to the body of Christ. There is a, um, we're gonna be in Ephesians chapter two, uh, verses 11 through 22. I'm gonna share with you this really neat thing that I learned a couple of years ago about a, um, I mean, everybody knows that the Bible wasn't written in English originally, right? It was written, couple thousand years ago, this part, some of it was written <laughs> much, much farther ago than that, um, in a culture that is absolutely nothing like our own, right? Halfway across the world, 2,000 years ago, in different languages, and it's been translated several times, right? Well, the Hebrews um, had this method, it's called a 
literary device, this method of delivering messages. So have you guys ever uh, been in school and you learn how to write an essay? So you write an essay, the first thing is, you tell them what you're going to tell them, right? And then you tell them what you have to tell them, right? And then you summarize what you told them. That's kind of the, the very basic overview as how, of how we communicate. We start with it, we end with it, and we sandwich all the different points that we have to prove, whatever it is. Well, the Hebrews actually don't do that. They sandwich their point in the middle, and they support it with... Um, different points that mirror each other. So in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11, 22, is this very interesting little piece of scripture where the point is, I took my verses out, so I I gotta grab it over here. The point is in the middle, and all of the supporting stuff is before it and after it. You'll see that there's pairs of information that, um, that are, that's repeated. So the point of this whole passage, I would think that if, if I was reading it from my Western mind and the way that we communicate here, that the point is that we... Verse 22 is that we are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. That's the end, so that's the point, right? That's what they end with. Well, that's actually not where they, their point is a different place in the passage. And I want to show you, it's really neat. Um, it is verse 16 and the end of 15, where it talks about his purpose making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, which he put to death. Oh, that's six, sorry, seven, seven, here we go. Verse 18, for through, through him we both have access. No, that's wrong too. Where is it? Seven, setting aside in his flesh the law. I'm so sorry, you guys. Verse 15, setting aside in, uh, in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new, human, one new humanity out of the two. So this is what Jesus came to do. He came in his flesh to actually set aside the law and its commandments and regulations, and his purpose was to create in him one man, out of the two. There was two groups of people in the Hebrews. There was Hebrews and not Hebrews. They were like, Israel, you were either an Israelite or you were not. There wasn't like Hebrews and Romans and Italians and Americans. There was like, you're either us or you're not, and everybody else was lumped in. And it's, you know, some people think that Amer- Americans think that too. You're either American or you're not. I mean, we're all the center of our own universe, right? So, so there is, there is um, these chosen people that have lived their lives for thousands of years knowing that God chose them, knowing that God was choosing them to reveal uh, himself. He had all these promises that they were going to be the, fa- Abraham was going to be the father of nations and all this different stuff. All these promises came through these Hebrew people, and they began to start living their lives as if they were better than everybody else because they followed the laws of God. So God, after having these people for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, 
He's flipping the script on them. He's like, I just need for you guys to know that I'm totally after you, but I'm also totally after them. He's like, I'm, I'm here to bring you close, but I'm also here to bring them close. He's like, and so, and so he's explaining how he needs for them to actually completely transform their way of thinking because people that they think are their enemies and that they, they so much think that, that if they touched another human being that was not an Israelite, an Israelite, they would become unclean. They had to do all of these different things. God is like, no, listen, I love you guys and you have been with me for so long. You guys have always been with me. Thousands of years you've been with me. He's like, but I also want to grab them and I want to bring them. And I'm actually, you guys aren't going to like this, spoiler. We're going to make you guys one family. And there were so many people, you guys, that were so offended by this that God could possibly want them and the Gentiles. You know, the, everybody, the nations, everybody that was not Jewish, everybody that was not called an Israelite, had been circumcised, followed the law, they spent their lives building everything into their lives to come and wait for the Messiah, and then the Messiah comes, and he's like, hey guys, what we're going to do is, um, we're going to make you and you all one, because I actually want everybody, not just you. I mean, how, how must they have felt this, this chosen nation? You know, the pride that they must have had, we're just going to be reduced to, to all these people too, and What's going to happen when we bring all these sinners into the kingdom of God? They're going to mess us all up. We're all going to be unclean. But this is actually the point. This is, we have to get this because this is the main point. This is the first thing that has to enter the heart. This looks like an arrow. That's intentional. That's the, the first thing that has to enter the, our, enter the hearts of the church collective and our own hearts is the first thing that Jesus came for is he wanted to set aside the laws and the rules and the regulations. I'm going to set that aside and I'm going to be now based on relationship. I want you come close and all of you currently 8.3 billion people, all of you guys, I want you to. I want you Christians, and I want you sinners. He's doing the same thing. I want all of you. There is no people group that I do not want. There is no people group that he is not reaching towards to bring them close. There is no people group that he doesn't, he did not come to set aside the laws and say, come into my kingdom. I want relationship with you. Every single person on the planet, I can promise you if you are in front of them, he wants them. He has a plan for their life. He is excited about them. He's madly in love with them. And if they will say yes to Jesus, he will say, you are holy and blameless in my sight. It doesn't matter, and, 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 and as they renew their minds with this, then he will give grace to them also to walk out the stuff that they can't, to overcome the stuff that they can't overcome by themselves. It's beautiful, this thing that Jesus came to do. I don't want you to follow rules. He's like, I want your heart. I want your allegiance. I want you to believe in my son, Jesus. Jesus didn't say that because Jesus didn't have a son, Jesus. Anyway. Okay, this little thing that I don't normally do is this uh, very interesting and beautiful, and I'm going to show you um, how this is the middle, and everything on the outside of it are different points that support, 
this, for this main point. The main point, Jesus died to set aside the laws, is he wants to make two human, or one humanity out of the two. So if we just read the passage, it starts like this. Hey, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth, which just means non-Israelites, and called uncircumcised by those that called themselves the, the circumcised. So you were called something different. You were called others that, by people that called themselves circumcised which is done in the body by human hands. And remember that at that time, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope, without God. But now, in Jesus, you who were once far have been brought near. For he is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments. This is the by, this is the how, this is the what he did. Uh, with its commands and regulations and his purpose, you can tell that this is the, the middle part because it says, like, this is what I'm trying to tell you guys. Uh, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace. And now these, these little points down here are going to start echo echoing the previous points. You'll start seeing peace. And in one body to reconcile both to God. He came and he preached peace to you who were far away and peace to you who were near. For through him we have access to the Father. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens and God's people and members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. And in him, the whole building joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. The second half, every single point is beautiful and amazing, but there is one that is the main point. And I want to show you in this little thing that, that I printed out. If you guys could share, I probably didn't print out enough. But one, point one echoes point one down here. Sometimes they're opposites, but they have the same theme, okay? So remember that formerly, you who are Gentiles by birth and called the uncircumcised, there are, he's, he's saying there are two groups of people and this is how they're divided. There's Israel who calls themselves circumcised, and then they call everyone who is outside of that uncircumcised. So remember that formerly you were separate by this dividing line. And now point number two, but in him, this is the opposite. In Jesus, you, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You guys, imagine the good news this would have been for a non-Jewish person. Imagine the bad news <laughs> it could have been for the Israelite people. They were like, oh no, how is this happening? This is not what I thought the Messiah was going to do. This is very offensive to us. You can see why they tried to kill him, why they did kill him. But they didn't have the final word. God had the final word, right? Point number two by those who call themselves the circumcision. These are the people that had taken it upon themselves to create 613 different laws to make sure 
that nobody violated the Ten Commandments. They, they built and structured and tried to automate following God into people's lives to make sure that they didn't sin. To, and, and, they, and they relied on that. They relied on their following of the law and stopped relying on the relationship between themselves and God. You can see in the Old Testament all the times when they did this and he would call them back to himself and he would have to save them over and over. But the heart of this whole thing was that they were trying to automate their relationship with God. And so this, this opposite is that, you know, these people tried to build this thing circumcision, this is the dividing line between people who follow God and people who don't. But this is how it was designed to be. That, 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 that the body of Christ is supposed to be built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. And in him, the building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple with the Lord. He's saying, listen, it's not the following the rules thing. It's not being circumcised that does the trick. It's it's being in Christ Jesus. It's listening to the apostles and the prophets. It's having him as the chief cornerstone. It's, it's in Jesus that the whole building is joined together and rises to become the holy temple. You are not holy because you followed rules. You are holy because you allowed him access to your heart. And so point three, uh, remember that at one time you were separate, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise. But down here, consequently, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but you are fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household. You guys, every single one of these points is good news. You know, the good news is that Jesus did take away all of those commands and all of those things so that people could rely on nothing except for their relationship with God in order to be close to him. We're, the church is still doing this today. We, we like to call it religion. We, call, we don't like religious people. Well, I don't like religious people either, and it's not that I don't like that they're the people. It's that I don't like what they're doing. They're trying to automate their relationship with God. They're trying to say, I'm, I, I withdraw their hearts from him, place things in place that if you do this, if you do that, most of us, if you've been in church for a while, you've probably been told maybe 30 years ago, you probably weren't allowed to go to movies. Maybe you weren't allowed to go to, you know, have coffee. You're, you have to wear certain clothes. You're not allowed to wear makeup. I mean, there's lots of things that people have done in the name of trying to make sure that we are, that we keep ourselves holy and pure. But what keeps us holy and pure is actually our relationship, our heart connection to Jesus, believing in his word and allowing the grace of God to come into our lives and change us. It, 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 when we, does, be, does behavior modification usually work? Most of us know that we go on a diet, here's my list of diet foods, I get tired after a while and I, and I fall off the wagon and I'm back to eating my, my, my old same thing. It's the same thing with religion. When we say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to act this way, I'm not going to do this. It's not that it's bad. It's that it's not coming from a heart of relationship. I promise you guys, if you pursue a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and you grow that relationship until it's the biggest thing in your life, I promise you he will tell you every single thing and he will help you. He will give you his power to fix and change everything. And it will, this is what we're talking about when, when it's his burden that's light. 
our, we're exchanging our heavy burdens for his light one. If we will pursue him with everything that we have, if we will go after him and, and cultivate that until it is the biggest thing in your life, if you are addicted to drugs, you will find yourself not addicted to drugs and you will not understand how it came so easy. That is his grace in your life. If you struggle with anxiety and depression, you will find yourself filled with joy and forget, oh yeah, I used to be anxious. I used to be depressed. I'm not saying that you don't still need to have therapy and meds. You might still have to do that to get through. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not trying to preach some, you don't need to have surgery or that type of thing. Like, we're, we still live in a fallen world, right? We still pray for people and they don't get healed. So I'm not, trying to say, I'm not trying to say that. But what I'm saying is we can't try to automate and make rules in replacement of the, the, the relationship that he desires in our hearts. Number four, they used to be without hope and without God. And on the bottom, for through Jesus, we have access to the Father by the Spirit. You used to have nothing, you had no hope in you, and you didn't have God, and now, because of Jesus, they have access. You fully have access. Most of us aren't Jewish. Some of us are. But most of us aren't, and this is what we stand on. This is why we can do that, because Jesus set aside, and he was like, this is what I want for your relationship with me to look like. The fifth point, but now in Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near. You who were once far, he brings them near. And the Israelites, he's like, listen, I want you guys to, he's trying to bring them near. Listen, if I, if I grab Jacob over there in the corner and I bring him near and I bring Judy over there in the corner and I bring her near, they are now near to each other because they are near to Jesus, Right? Pursuing unity is a byproduct of us just being close to Jesus. We're going to be close to each other when we are close to Jesus, when we allow him to draw, him, to draw us into himself. We will automatically be closer to each other because we are closer to him and it was designed that way. Point number six on the top, it says, for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. And the second, number six, is the other, the other half of it. Thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. It tells you that in your humanity there are people that you will naturally feel hostility towards. In your flesh... There are people that you will naturally feel hostility towards. But when we allow Jesus to be the biggest thing, when we allow this point to pierce our hearts, these next things will be the result. That we who were once far will be brought near. That peace, that the peace that was preached to the, to the Israelites will, is, is also extended to us. That we used to not have God, but now we do. We have full access through our faith in Jesus, that Jesus came to, to destroy the, it says in here, put to death our hostility. Like, it's dead. You don't get to have it anymore. That, so if, you, if we have hostility towards another people or another people group, then we need to go like, oh, that's something that Jesus destroyed, so maybe I'm hanging out in my flesh right now. 
Maybe there's something, maybe there's something that needs to be cruci- crucified. Or, you know, I think it's Paul that said, he's like, I die daily. He's like, I mess up daily. My flesh tries to rise up daily. But when we know that God is good, when we know that his word is truth, when we know that Jesus paid for everything on the cross, when we know that God is trying to reveal himself in us, we start to really, when we, when we grow and cultivate that relationship until it's the biggest things in our life, thing in our life, we start to be able to recognize the fingerprints of God and the fingerprints of the enemy. If someone told me that my husband said something negative about me, I just literally wouldn't believe it because that's not him. He never has anything negative to say about me because in his eyes, I am perfect. I don't know. I'm not. I'm really not. (laughs) But don't try to tell him that. He might whisper something to his closest friends about how I'm annoying or I nag him about the dishes or something. But for the most part, like, if he says something negative about me and someone was like, oh, yeah, I saw Rodney with another girl or something, I would laugh. Or I would assume that he was ministering to her. Like, I'm not kidding. I would not worry about it because I know him. Is his relationship, my relationship with Jesus, my relationship with him, these are the biggest things in my life. I know him, and he knows me. And so if someone tried to say to him that I was with some dude at some place, he would be like, yeah, probably. They probably wanted to talk about something. Like, he wouldn't worry about that. And it's the same thing. We can start to recognize the, the fingerprints of the enemy. When the enemy is trying to smear you with shame about something that you've done, but you've renewed your mind with the truth that even in your mess-ups, that God still sees you as holy and blameless, and that as you believe that, his grace will be released in your life to overcome that stuff, you can be like, yeah, you're funny, dude. Because shame is not my portion. Condemnation, that's not where God wants me to live. That's where the enemy wants me to live. Fear, I'm not having any of it. You know what I mean? Because I've, re- I've renewed my heart and my mind. I've persuaded my heart that these truths are truth. And that, and that I believe that even in my mess-ups, I can really say that God wants to reveal himself in me. And so, I, and so I can be like, Lord, you know, I think I messed that one up. In fact, last night, <laughs> last night, <laughs> I went home after an interaction with a neighbor. And I was like, um... I didn't reveal me very well today. And then, wait, wait, just kidding. I actually did reveal me very well. I didn't reveal you very well in that. <laughs> myself showed up instead of myself and Jesus showed up in a conversation, and I was not very proud of it. And so I have to, I, that's something that I have to deal with with my neighbor. But, um, yeah, I just, it's, it's going to happen. You're going to mess up. It's, it's just going to happen. But, you know, Jesus, he came to divide all of that stuff. He came to, to destroy the works of the enemy. So when the enemy is working hard to steal, kill, and destroy, Jesus is there. And you get to pick who you believe. I'm going to have you guys stand up. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your word that is truth. I thank you for scholars that study your word and come across gems that are by people that are way smarter than me. I just thank you for the opportunity to, to encourage your church, Lord, to try to show them who you are. 
through your word and through your work in our lives. And I thank you. I thank you for the way that you have never given up on us, the way that you have never abandoned us, that we have never walked alone, that you have been with us every time. And I thank you for every person here who has been radically, radically saved. Every person who has been pulled out of that darkness and into the realm of the one. I just thank you, Lord. If anybody has never said yes to this Jesus that I am describing today, I just pray that you will just, I don't have a sinner's prayer, but this is what I will say. God, if you're real, I want to know you. And if you've never said that before, God, if you're real, I want to know you. Then I encourage you to do that right now, to just say, God, if you're real, I want to know you. If anybody needs prayer, if anybody came to encounter a God that heals, a God that does wonderful and miracle-working power, I just ask that we have a ministry team that would love to pray for you. We have some prophetic people that will encourage you, that will prophesy the Lord's the Lord's words over your life. So if anybody needs any of that, come forward. Don't leave without getting prayer, without getting healing. We're a church that loves to pray and God loves to work in, the, in his people. The Holy Spirit is here. In the mighty and powerful name of Jesus, amen. Thank you.